Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Luke and... Chapter 16, it seems like just recently um, there have been several prominent uh, attacks on uh, an important biblical doctrine, you know, what most people would consider just to be an essential truth of the Bible and of Christianity, Um, And that is the idea of eternal torment. Many people would call that hell. We're going to learn some things about hell uh, as well. Hell, by the way, is not an eternal place, but the lake of fire is. And just recently, it seems like there have been a a lot of um, people questioning that doctrine, even among uh, what, what you would consider evangelical Christians. Uh, not too long ago, a man named Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And while in that book he does not, you know, outright teach uh, what's called universal reconciliation. You know, some people have this idea that eventually everybody gets saved, even, even the devil and his angels, uh, according to this teaching, eventually get saved. And while, while Rob Bell did not espouse that view in the book, what he did say in summarizing some of these different views was he said that, that uh, he said some very, very complimentary things about that view. In fact, he said it was a, it was a view that every Christian should desire, that, that there would be this universal reconciliation. And, and in a sense, I can understand the point. I mean, certainly every Christian should desire uh, to see people saved. And, and uh, it certainly, you know, in fact, in fact, God's word says that God wills that all men be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. But the reality is, I mean, when you make a statement like that, you say every Christian should desire for this to be true. Um, really what you're saying, if it's not true, if it's not true according to God's word, then what you're saying is that Christians should desire something other than God desires, right? I mean, if, if it's not true, so, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of speculation about does, does Rob Bell really believe this or not? He doesn't come right out and say he believes it, but again, he speaks very complimentary of, of that view. Uh, you, you may have seen um, on Bill O'Reilly's show uh, he had a, a pastor, and it, you know some of these some of these uh, conversations are are interesting. You know, Bill O'Reilly is a uh, a Roman Catholic. He is a he's he's pretty much a modernist in most of his views, and his guest was a pastor. Now, what the pastor's view was was that there is no hell. This, this was the pastor arguing this point, that there is no hell. And I said he believed in a heaven, but he believed there was no hell, and he said that the church is making a great mistake. They say, he says the church makes a monster out of God by claiming that there is a hell. Now, now Bill O'Reilly, his point, he was arguing, was that there was a hell. He was defending hell, but it was just for really bad people like 
Hitler and Stalin and Mao. And these were the people that were in hell. And in fact, Bill O'Reilly actually did a, a good job of of presenting what was the Roman Catholic view. I, I don't know if anybody, any of you saw the interview, but you can look it up on the internet and, and see it. And, you know, the, the Roman Catholic view, it used to be the Roman Catholic Church said that there was no salvation outside of the church. And somewhere along, that, along the line, that changed. And, and uh, if you heard the interview, you heard O'Reilly talk about this baptism of desire. You know, the way you enter that church is through baptism. And so, according to their doctrine, you have to undergo this, this baptism, which in and of itself teaches a, a work salvation. But they teach that there are people uh, who maybe have never heard of Christ, never heard uh, the Bible, but they want to do good and they want to do what's right. And so they undergo this baptism of desire and have salvation through that. Now, that's, that's purely a works gospel. That's saying if you just just work hard, uh, even if you don't hear the gospel or know the gospel, it doesn't matter. Just work hard to do good and want to do good. Um, it's a you know it's a baptism of desire. So you have to desire to do good that you won't go to hell. So so Bill O'Reilly was saying that there is a hell, but it's just for the the really bad people. Now the the strange thing about it, the pastor actually was accurately presenting. The biblical view, he was just denying that it was true. Because, because that pastor said how, you know, the, the, uh, much of Christianity teaches that it's not just Hitler and Stalin and Mao that go to hell, but rather good people who would be good in the world's eyes, and yet they're not good in God's eyes. The scripture says there's none that doeth good, no, not one, wind up in hell. All right? So, for instance, I, I think they may have talked briefly about Gandhi. Now, Gandhi would be considered by many people to be this very good person, but certainly not anybody who believed anything with regard to the gospel. And and many Christians, or professing Christians, have a hard time looking at somebody like Gandhi and the good things that he accomplished and say that he's in hell today. But that's the biblical truth. Now, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at some of these things from, from God's Word. But uh, the Scripture is very clear that hell is a real place. It's not just something figurative. And not only is hell a real place, but there is a real place called the lake of fire that doesn't just, just last for a, you know, a period of time, but lasts forever. And this is an important thing to understand because think about if, if you don't believe that there is any hell, what does that do to the preaching of the gospel? There would be no urgency to preach the gospel or to believe the gospel if there is no hell, right? You just kind of do the best you can and, and you know, that view, that view that that pastor, and I use the term loosely, uh, the view that that pastor was proposing was there is a heaven and everybody goes there. That was, that was his view. Uh, the view of, of universal reconciliation that Rob Bell flirts with is that there is a hell, but it's just a temporary thing, and you kind of go there and suffer for a while, but eventually everybody gets into heaven. Uh, now, that would be, you know, that's not the same as saying there is no hell, but the end result is the same, right? The end result is everybody winds up in heaven in the end. Uh, and, and I'll tell you that... Uh, 
there, you know, there, there are grace believers I know that have been swayed to that view. Um, there, in fact, uh, even, you know, even some of the, the dispensational groups, if, if you've ever read anything by Dr. E.W. Bullinger, now I've never seen anything from, from Bullinger himself that teaches universal reconciliation, but, you know, in, in his, in his group, you know, the people that, that, uh, followed his teaching, the, kind of that next generation after Bullinger was gone, they all teach universal reconciliation now. Again, whether, whether Bullinger himself taught it, I, I don't know. I've never seen anything to that effect. But I know that the guys who, who came after him, who succeeded him, uh, did, did teach that um, and are still teaching that today. Uh, the, you know, I, I find in talking with individuals, when I've, when I've encountered individuals that, that hold that view, it, it usually isn't because they've studied out the Bible, you know, studied the Bible and, and studied out the issue and come to a conclusion about it. It generally winds up being that they have some very, very beloved family member that died that they know that person didn't believe the gospel. And they don't want to believe that that person would be in torment. I think probably some of it's motivated by guilt because they think, why didn't I do more to share the gospel? And so they try and, they try and minimize the effect of that and say, well, God, God's going to let him in. He's going to let him in anyway. Here in Luke 16, we have a description of the place called hell. And this, this passage, now Christ here is, is speaking, you know, he's telling, he's telling a story here, but there's nothing that indicates that it's not a true story or that it's not a realistic story. Uh, of course, you know, when people don't want to believe in hell, uh, they have to find something to do with this, and they'll say, well, it's just a parable, and it's not really meant to be taken literally. And, of course, what they never answer is, well, if it's not meant to be taken literally, what's it supposed to teach then? If you, if you don't take it literally, it doesn't, it doesn't teach anything at all. Um, but here in Luke 16, Christ says in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. You couldn't have two people who were more different. Here you have one man who is, is lifted up in society. You have one man who has, has all of his needs and even his wants fulfilled. And here you have this man named Lazarus that they lay him at the rich man's gate. He's full of sores. The dogs come and lick his sores. And all he's doing is waiting for a crumb that falls from the rich man's table. Right? They, they know whoever it is that lays him there. He can't even take himself there. That's his, his state. Somebody has to carry him there. And they lay him there and he's just hoping for some, some morsel of the rich man's overabundance. Now, that's their state in life. That's their state in this world. The one man is exalted and the other man is laid low. 
But it says in verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, what, what many people would do with this passage and many... Uh, you know, many, many people today would view it in this way as they would say, you see, it means God's going to lift up the poor and he's, gonna, he's going to um, make the, the rich to be abased. And they turn it into kind of a social message about the rich and the poor. Uh, realize, though, that Lazarus doesn't wind up there in Abraham's bosom because he's poor. And the rich man doesn't wind up in hell because he's rich. Okay, that's not that's not the issue here. It's not trying to teach in this passage how to be saved. All right. But it is true. Of course, Christ said that it was it was hard for those that are rich to enter in. Right. Uh, The Apostle Paul, you can read in first Timothy six and he describes those that will be rich. Okay, and and in Corinthians, he describes how when you look at believers, there's not many noble that are called. Believers tend to be the, you know, tend to be the people like us. All right. And uh, and that's no accident. In fact, in in Corinthians, the reason Paul gives for that is that God can use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Right. He can use the the things that maybe aren't, you know, aren't the the upper echelon of society. And that's who God chooses to use in the world. And so this is, you know, it's not it's not uh, the issue here is not who's rich and who's poor and, and that kind of thing. But there is a description here that's given of hell. Now, you see, it describes where in this case, where the. The beggar Lazarus goes, and it says he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, he's there with Abraham. In fact, Abraham is gonna, going to appear here in this account. Um, now, there's some things you gotta, you got to keep in mind. We'll, we'll look at several things here uh, in this passage. But there are some things from the time that Christ was teaching this and the location of some of these places that he mentions, there's been a change between then and today. But you see here that the beggar is carried into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. That's his physical body. But it says in hell he lift up his eyes. Now that's his soul in hell. In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And so here you have these two men. Now, notice that they are in kind of the same general vicinity. They can see one another from where they're at. By the way, Lazarus here is not in heaven. All right? We'll we'll look at some things about that. But... um, when you go through the Old Testament, when you read in before the resurrection of Christ, where the dead went, they went to a place that is called, in the Hebrew it's, it's the word Sheol, which is translated either as the pit or the grave or hell. And, and that's all the dead, believers and unbelievers alike, went to Sheol. When you you know, when you read in the Old Testament, you don't read about people going to heaven outside of, of 
you know, maybe Elijah, who was, who was carried to heaven, it says he was carried up in a, in a whirlwind. Um, but what you read is about people going there to that place of the grave, Sheol. And here you notice that Lazarus and the rich man are in the same general place where they can see one another. Uh, no, there's, there's two places there, right? There's two, there's two locations there. Uh, let, let me just read the whole passage and then we'll come back and, and look at some of the description. Verse 24 uh, says that the, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And of course, the, the passage uh, foreshadows that there would be one who would rise from the dead and and you know many of those who rejected him in his life even when they knew he had risen from the dead they still didn't believe on him and uh, Abraham here does not send Lazarus back to this man's family because he says if, if they don't if they don't hear the scriptures if they won't listen to what God the father has said in the scripture why would they believe even if somebody rises from the dead um, sometimes it's easy to think that more people would believe if God were doing more miracles or, you know, if, if God were doing these things. That doesn't cause people to believe. Uh, show me in the scripture where doing miracles caused people to believe. Uh, show me where God parting the Red Sea caused Israel to have more trust in him. Didn't happen. Okay? And so here you see these, these two men and, and then uh, Abraham plays a part there. And notice that as it describes the man, the rich man, it says, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. Uh, he asks that Lazarus would come and dip his tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now these are very, we would think of them as physical descriptions. Now these men are not in a physical state. These men are in a, a soul state. They're in that state that the Apostle Paul describes as being unclothed and being naked in that they don't have a, they don't have a body to wear. And yet they still have this, this form, this recognizable form. In fact, the men recognize each other, right? The, the rich man recognizes Lazarus and Lazarus recognizes the rich man. And so the soul is not some, just some, you know, some uh, formless blob or, or something like that. Your, your soul, when we look at each other here today, we're looking at one another's bodies, right? I, you're looking at, at me physically, I'm looking at you physically. 
all right? And we recognize each other and we recognize those physical features. We can't see one another's souls because, in, in a sense, we're blind to that, to that world, that spiritual realm, because of this physical realm that we're in. But you see, their souls can see and, and are described as having eyes and fingers and tongues uh, where, you know, where they can interact with one another. And so here, here you have these men, and I want you to notice some things about the rich man and about his attitude toward his state and, and really toward God. Uh, the, the rich man here, again, this, this universal reconciliation view uh, often has this idea that unbelievers in hell are going to realize the error of their ways and they're going to turn to God and, and ask for forgiveness and, and, you know, ask God to save them. But you don't see that at all here with the rich man. You don't, you don't see the rich man doing that here. Now, certainly the rich man has some regret. And he, he has regret for the state that he's in so much so that he would ask Abraham to send Lazarus to go and warn his family. Right? He wants, he wants to warn others about where he's at. But... One thing I notice here is he doesn't ask to get out of the torment that he's in. What does he ask Abraham to do in the passage? He asks Abraham to send Lazarus over where he is and comfort him from his torment. He doesn't ask to be over there where Lazarus is. Now, that, that wouldn't be, I mean, that would, might, might temporarily ease that man's torment, but that, that's a punishment on Lazarus to send him over where that man is. Right. And, you know, isn't isn't that often the attitude of the world is they want to be eased in their, you know, in their torment, just the, the things that go on in this world without really having salvation. Right. This this man isn't crying out for salvation. He's crying out for his torment to be eased. That's a even there in hell. You see an utterly selfish view of this man. He's not he doesn't care about God and God's glory or any of that. In fact, it's interesting to me. He never once mentions God in the passage at all. Do you know that in in the book of Ecclesiastes and in other places, it says that that in death there is no remembrance of God and there is no knowledge of God. Um, the, again, we have the assumption that these people in hell are going to be crying out to God for forgiveness. You don't see that here and, and you don't really see that anywhere in the Bible where hell is pictured or, or presented. What you see is you see people in hell carrying on in their, in their pride um, and in, they're not in their physical flesh anymore, but they're certainly in a very fleshly way. Um, let, me, let me give you an example. Go over to Isaiah chapter 14. You know, the scripture says that, that hellfire was created for the devil and his angels. Okay? And one of the misconceptions people have about hell is that hell is like Satan's kingdom, like where he rules. And that's not true. Hell is designed as a prison and as a place of torment for Satan himself. All right? It's not his kingdom. It's his prison. He's not there right now. Satan's not in hell. 
Um, we, we've seen in previous studies how Satan is in heaven. He, there's wickedness in high places, and Satan, Satan certainly is on earth. He's not in hell today. Why would he want to be in hell? Uh, that's a you know that's a false conception that people have about the the authority of Satan. Hell is not the place where Satan rules. In fact, here in in Isaiah chapter fourteen, uh, it's descri- it describes Satan. Uh, in fact, this passage here it's addressed to the king of Babylon, but as you read it, you see it's not talking about the human king of Babylon. There may be a few things here that, that relate to, to that human king of Babylon. But, uh, for instance, you, verse 12, as well, well known to many people, you can see who it's talking to. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, thou son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Now, that's a description of Satan, right? He's called there Lucifer, the light bearer. And Satan had this position as the anointed cherub. And yet, you see what he says here. He says, I will. You see all those I wills in verses 13 and 14? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. How different between that and the Lord Jesus Christ before his crucifixion when he said, not as I will, but Thy will be done. Right? Christ, where, where Christ focused on the will of God, Satan says, I will, I will, I will. And you notice that Satan does not say, I will be the opposite of God. He doesn't say, I'm going to be the exact opposite of everything God is and, and, you know, and beat him at that. What he says is, I will be like the Most High. Satan's not saying he's, he's going to be the opposite of God. He's saying he is going to be like God. You know, that's often the, the religious attitude that many people have about their works. That I will be like God. I will make myself godly. And that is a, an utterly satanic attitude to have. That I will be like God. That, that's what Satan said. Now... I say that to, to notice that the hell is mentioned uh, several times in this passage. Verse 9, now, so we're, we're going up before what we just read about Satan, but you see this passage is talking to Satan. And you see what it says in verse 9, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. By the way, this, this passage is a prophetic passage. It's addressed to Satan, but it's a prophetic passage about what's going to happen with him. When it says uh, in, in what we read there in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Satan has not fallen from heaven today. This is future. Okay, And in fact, the context is when Satan is cast down into hell, that's when these things are said to him. And so verse 9 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. 
It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave in the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. You see what, what those lost kings of the nations are saying to Satan as he's cast into hell? They're mocking him. You've become just like one of us. They, they realize they were, they were swindled by him. And they are, in a sense, I mean, if there's any kind of rejoicing in hell, they're, they're glorying in the fact that Satan's in the same situation that they are. Now again, what a, what a worldly, selfish attitude to have. That, there's the attitude of the dead in hell. They're glad to see other people in the same state they are. Not, not calling out for salvation from God or, or repenting or anything like that. They're glad to see others in the same state. And if it's somebody more powerful than them, like Satan himself, all the better. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.